Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the Every Adrian Brody Movie in Chronological Order podcast, aka Brody Cast. I'm Spencer, and I'm finally back with Adam and Greg to talk about one of the greatest movies of all time, The Thin Red Line. Say what's up, dudes. What's up, dudes? Hey, we're back. I don't understand. I, every time I do this, I always say like, "Hey, you guys, say hello." Like, do I? I don't need to tell you that, do I? Well, it gives us like a time to say hello. Yeah, but I don't know. I, I don't I feel a little, a little like, I don't know, totalitarian. I don't speak unless I'm asked to. <laughs> okay, Greg, you may speak now. Hello. All right. Hello, sweet. guys. So, <laughs> like I said earlier, we watched the Thin Red Line. And I have been racking my brain to try to figure out how exactly to summarize the plot of this movie because it's so it is a semi realistic um, rendition of an actual battle that took place. The Battle of Mount Austin, I believe, um, in the sort of what, what would you call it, like the siege of Guadalcanal or the, the fight for Guadalcanal or the something campaign. Sure. The Guadalcanal campaign in the Pacific Theater of World War II. Um, and the majority of the movie is very uh, classic Terrence Malick. So it's a, it's very poetic and lyrical and meditative and voiceovery, voiceovery and with lots of Southern accents and I don't know, ruminations on the, <laughs> you know, struggle of humanity in a world of chaos uh yeah it's it was difficult to to sort of synthesize everything so i hope that's probably going to have to do for now um does anyone else have anything to add to that i would clap for that summary if i wasn't holding a mic in one hand well I so one ha- one-handed clap for you that was well done. That was the majority of the the first paragraph of the Wikipedia well, summary. So. That actually sounds pretty good in the in the phones. Does oh, it? Nice. Try it again. You hear that? <laughs> that's, that's Those are the people. Here, here, here. <laughs> you you also hear that dog barking in the background. We are recording in uh, Adrian's right home borough. This is Queens. special <laughs> special edition live from Queens. Mm-hmm. Well, live plus three or whatever. You shut that dog up! <laughs> Somebody shut that dog up! <laughs> Was that from I'm trying to record show? a podcast around here. <laughs> Don't you know it's 2 p.m.? <laughs> uh, well, so, Brody, um, this is the this is the movie that we've been really excited about watching, or at least I have, because this is arguably my favorite movie ever. And Whoa, wow. I say Whoa, that, well, what? I, I say that knowing that I just completely butchered the plot summary. Um, but it's still, it really is one of my favorite movies, I think it actually might be my favorite movie of all time. It's just wow. so pretty. And the music is perfect and the cinematography is spectacular. And I thought all the performances are really well uh, realized. And yeah, it's, it's quite a, quite a feat for me anyway. Uh, I, I take it that you guys disagree or at least I, Goldberg. I, well, I don't, I don't love Terrence Malick. He's a little you, overdone. You want to mention some of the other things he's done? Tree of like, life. <laughs> Tree of Life, Badlands, Days of Heaven, right? Yeah, he did this so, Sing to Song, Song to Song, the new one that just came out oh, with like, Gosling and yeah. set in South by. So that's I South remember by. Night Night of Cups, right? That's, yep, that's Cups, oh, yeah. the one with uh, Christian Bale. Bale, right? Yeah. And well, I guess like I really Natalie haven't Portman seen all like of those besides Tree of Life, which I don't particularly love. Just, Why? Uh, it's It's too much. Which of too much voiceover, 
with lines of dialogue that really don't make much sense. So I I like this movie a lot. It's one of my favorite war movies. I do like this movie. I, I like this, but not in the way Spencer is talking about well, it. I have a question for you in a second, Adam, based on what you're saying. But I, I like this movie a lot. I don't know if I love it. I like it a lot. It's great. Mm. It's well made. I love Tree of Life. Tree of Life okay. is one of my favorite <laughs> movies, which is, Adam mentioned, is another uh, Terrence Malick movie, which has Brad Pitt in it, um, who plays a, a father who's very tough on his children and his wife in uh, Texas in the 50s, and it's semi-autobiographical um, of Terrence Malick's life. So do you, Adam, like Thin Red Lion or Tree of Life better? I prefer Thin Red Line yes. because I like the theme. I love war movies. Mm-hmm. And this the fighting scenes were amazing. The cinematography was incredible. The music was awesome. Just do you think? What is – I'm going off track a little bit here, but what what is <laughs> – What is the tree of life? <laughs> well, what is what is your favorite war movie, basically, saying you love war movies? Uh, I think I still prefer Saving Private Ryan. Because of that, the storming opening. of Normandy Beach. Yeah, that opening scene is out of this world. So cool, gives me shivers every time I watch that scene. So, and that's what this movie does to me. I remember the when we saw it the first time, in, or when I saw it the first time in college, I like walked out and I was just like shattered. Yeah, because this like, it's just so. Well, let's. It. I want to <laughs> go into something I don't like. Wait, can also... I say mine? Can I say my? Yeah. That was that was a leading oh. question, just so oh, I could okay. say what I my own opinion. <laughs> <laughs> this movie, this movie's it may be my favorite war movie. I, I can yes. I have three in my mind. I love Full Metal Jacket. I yeah. have issues with it. Actually, um, I haven't seen Full Metal Jacket. So. Uh, I love I Full like Metal Jacket. I like the first half of Full Metal Jacket, but the second half just is a drag. I like that it's split in halves, and I like I like how it has that structure. It's one of the where the first half Adam is is set in like boot, boot camp, camp. Right, and right. training. Yeah. The second half's in war. The first half is better. Um, I love... There's this movie I saw called Come and See, which is this Russian movie that is totally destructive. One of the saddest... It's one of the hardest movie experience... Movie-watching experiences I've ever had. Did I see that? I, that I watched it I watched it while I was like trying to do that thing for the college newspaper where I was watching those world cinema oh, movies. right. I remember It was that. number like 19... And I would have never seen it, and it it tore me to shreds. Yeah. And I still I still think about it. It still makes me sad. Whoa! So I'll throw that one in there. Powerful. All right, go ahead. Well, Take one of the away. things I don't like about this movie, Thin Red Line, is that there are so many characters, and when they're on screen, they're great. Like everyone, it's it's all well acted, but there's just not enough. There's no one character really to to focus on, and especially uh, Brody. He's barely in this movie. I'm right. I will he's... say that I think that's by design. Um, I write it. I don't like it. Well, that's fair then. Um, but yeah, I think I I think that that is a legitimate criticism of the movie. I will say that that I think is intended because it, it seems like to me anyway, like sort of the the figurative discussion is more that like humanity is all just like this one big singular thing, and the reason that like the the voiceovers kind of blend together and everyone sounds very similar so that like you kind of see the the company and 
you know like by extension sort of like people as a whole as sort of like you know many faces of the same or many features of the same face or whatever they say near the end of the movie or something like that i don't remember (laughs) you guys were like what the fuck are you talking about no no yeah that's oh i i agree i agree with what you're saying i mean i do agree it's it's metaphorical i still i understand that you still don't like that that's that's totally reasonable to me to me i i think that the point of having characters kind of drop in and out and is the same how people are just kind of dying and dropping like flies like the the army itself is one organism and they're all treated as one so individuals don't matter so people are just dying and dropping off individual characters don't matter and that's i think that that's that's the argument at the end of the day so it's hard it it is there are some characters that they still align you with like sean penn like elias codius and like uh jim caviezel um nick nolte's there also but the fact that people come in and out, I think that that's their argument. That's what your experience maybe would be like as an infantryman. Uh, yeah. I agree with that. And I think they do a good job of that with Woody Harrelson's character, mm. who we get to know a little bit, uh, and then he dies. You know, that's, that's I mean, war. You get to know him a little bit in the sense of this, how you get to know all the characters in this movie, which is that, like, you know them if they have like more than one line basically <laughs> like there are so many and there are so many voices and so few people that we actually see a lot of besides like the guy that looks like joaquin phoenix but isn't joaquin phoenix right with uh, but yeah sorry I, that's a total tangent continue that's okay um no i kind of forget oh no, no i'm sorry <laughs> Yeah, I mean, we we see Woody Harrelson's character. He dies. You know, that's an example of you know people you get to know, and then they're killed off. That's that's war. But then there's John Cusack's character, who mm-hmm. we very briefly see, and we just start to attach to him, and then he just disappears for us in the movie. And like, I don't understand why he's he seems to be like he should be present with the rest of the men, and maybe we see him in the background a couple times, but he doesn't have any further dialogue once his character starts to get a little bit interesting. And it's the same with plenty of other characters. I, I don't remember. I don't remember when he goes away. He gets the promotion, right? Yeah. After like, he does that that big battle at the end, he gets a right promotion. Like, Nick Nolte's kind of got his or, sorry, middle his nose up his butt a little bit, and is like giving yeah. him a bunch of like accolades and, and mm-hmm. credit and praise, and he's kind of like, dude, you mm-hmm. you know this is so fucked. Like I don't really care about any of this stuff. Yeah, and right. I don't remember. Nick Dalton gave him a promotion. I don't remember what it was. It was to lead a company. Yeah, but, but I get, and I don't know what that specifically meant in this case. But it could have been that he was sent to lead something else, like that. Nick Dalton wanted to take his glory or something. I don't yeah. know. And he sent him like, oh, okay, you go to this other battle now, and maybe that's why oh. he's just like gone. Well, people under- come in and out of this infantry group. My understanding of it is that they, so they they get the bunker at the hill because of John Cusack, and Nick Dalton is congratulating him and says like you're gonna get this promotion but then they they seem to press on like immediately after and then there's this other great battle scene where they overrun the the japanese camp mm-hmm. which is a, an amazing scene yeah that's yeah you know that's the highlight i think for right like the the best scene of the movie in my opinion but where's john cusack do we see him at all like this that would that scene seems like a like a perfect scene that like as a follow-up to that conversation Maybe he left to film High Fidelity. <laughs> it's 
possible. His I character. Suppose. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> His character had a big life change. Yeah, he decided to own a record store in yeah. Chicago 50 years later. Yeah. <laughs> Jump in his time machine. Yeah. And there was that one character who, well, I guess it was the one... Well, it was the one with the wife yeah, who that's divorced the guy, him. I call him not Joaquin yeah, Phoenix because I don't Phoenix. know, know who it and is. And then we, we like constantly flash back to his wife like so many times, probably six separate times. Probably more than that. Yeah, it's a bit ridiculous. Like every, like it started to get tedious every time they would flash back to his wife. Like okay, like this again, you know. And then the wife divorced, like sends him a letter, what like a dear John letter, divorces him, which which is sad. And then that's kind of the last we see of him. I really don't remember. Like, why did we flash back to his wife six times? Well, I think it it definitely makes the weight of the inevitable divorce like that much more that was, devastating, right? That's and the only it, thing about his character that we saw, though. And then we, that's it. Well, well that's the only thing that he's thinking about. Yeah. It attaches you more to him. But I don't think that's the only thing you see about his character. Because his character, he's one of the people, I mean, I think it's pretty much him and Caviezel maybe who like push forward right. and are willing to like take charge in really dangerous situations on behalf of the group. That's and, why I think he's 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 one of the strongest characters. Yeah. And they're the ones I feel like that like we've seen enough of so that we know that they have legitimate reasons to not be brave and to not follow those orders, right? Like I mean Caviezel has seen that like peace and you know tranquility or serenity or whatever you want to call it is like achievable because at the beginning of the movie he's AWOL and he's living in this like really sort of idyllic village right and is having a great time and he knows that this isn't the only thing and sort of like the way that Nick Nolte's character doesn't does that make sense so like he has it makes them in spite of what they have outside of the battle it makes them I don't know, seem more well-rounded. It's interesting. I definitely see that for not walking Phoenix. Yeah. For Caviezel. I do. I agree with what you're saying. What I think is interesting at that point, not to take away from what you're saying is that towards the end in one of his flashbacks to the beginning of the movie, when he's like on that, who, uh, Jim Caviezel. Okay. When he's on like that little Island with all of the the people, the natives. Yeah. Um, and he sees them fighting. He sees two of the men fighting. Which I thought was an interesting thing. Because at the, at the very beginning, he's like, oh, the kids don't fight. Yeah. You know, what's the deal with it? And she's like, oh, sometimes. Right. And he sees the two men fighting. And to me, I saw that as him realizing that war is inevitable. And that, like, mm. arguments are inevitable. And that it's just part of human nature. He's I still mean, looking for... He's still always looking for peace. And I think they're still more peaceful than, like, just, you know, World War Two. Right. But I think, <laughs> I think I saw that as... Like he, he realizes that it's just an innate an an innate part of human nature. Well, I think yes. I think that's definitely the argument that Nick Nolte's character puts forth as well. Is that what? like oh. nature is cruel? Isn't that what he says? And like that's sort of the the underlying theme through the whole thing is that like nature and humanity are intertwined so closely that there's really no way that you can separate sort of like the the beautiful. Um, the, the beauty of it but also like the brutality of it yeah. they're, they're like one you, and the same like flipping a, a coin or like you need like to that. have happiness to have sadness yeah yeah i it's interesting i think nick nolte's character is, is super interesting yeah, because I, it's at the yes. beginning it's hard to understand what he like wants there's all those voiceovers when he's with um uh travolta travolta yeah. who i guess is his boss 
I think. He's, I think he's a general. Yeah. It seemed yeah. like. Travolta's, Travolta's his boss and kind of says something to Nick Nolte and is like, oh, it's great that, you know, you're so old and you're still here and you're right. willing to be, you know, the lower tier that you are because it's important to have those people in that tier, which is a pretty demeaning thing to say. And then that, that seems to be what I saw as Nick Nolte's driving force throughout it is that he feel he's like, you know, like an older war hawk who just wants to prove himself, mm. um, which a lot of times, you know, I think you'll see the media and, and maybe in real life that that's like the kind of younger people who are, it's like, you know, this is my, this the battle hunger, is my yeah. chance to prove it. it's like Hamilton. Like that's exactly <laughs> what happens in Hamilton. That's what <laughs> Hamilton's trying to do. He's like, I got to jump in, um, you know, by social class, by going to war and proving that I'm capable of doing it. Um, like Nick Nolte's doing that as an older man who I think he says he has a family. I don't, yeah. I think that's, yeah. he, he mentions that, but like this, this is all he wants and he's willing to sacrifice numerous people which is ruthless and he says he and he doesn't acknowledge the other side he doesn't acknowledge the human side at all which is really super important to Elias Codius yeah I mean he, also his age comes into play when he's talking to Cusack and he's like um I've seen things I've seen I, I have essentially I have more experience than like even though this is his first war like I I understand and you'll understand eventually yeah which I thought was bullshit yeah it, it's when Elias asks when Elias asks uh Nick Nolte is like, have you ever had anybody die in your arms? Nick Nolte doesn't like, answer. Yeah. Right, because he hasn't. I mean, he's right. he's he's playing quarterback. Yeah, it's you know? easy to to send people to your to their deaths when you don't you aren't yeah. with them all the time, and that's the argument that that Elias Cody's right. character is making. It's easy to do a corporate restructuring <laughs> when you're in an, when you're an executive <laughs> as opposed to a manager. All right, let, let's get into Brody. It's been almost twenty minutes, and we we really haven't discussed Brody at well, all. Well. It's by design, right? Because Brody well, is barely in this movie. <laughs> yeah, I mean, well, let's let's start with the Brode code. Let me let me just pull it up real quick. I it's think about... it's probably fitting. We're about yeah. at the same amount of time that that we watch the movie that Brody shows up. <laughs> That's true. Yeah, let's just have pure silence for two minutes. Yeah, so, so we can. <laughs> Everyone has to like really open your eyes and look like you're about to get hit by a car in the middle of the night. Well, right. so it's 2053. Well, on Greg's Blu-ray copy mm-hmm. of. Criterion Collection. Cri- yes, Criterion. Shout Very out pretty. to the Criterion Collection. Yes. Uh, yeah, we he, well, he's on the ship, like getting ready for for the battle. He's in the bathroom. In that scene, that's yeah, when Sean Penn's uh, like Sean shaving. Penn's shaving and, yeah. yeah. And yeah. Broad's in the back, and he's, he's got, got this, like doe-eyed the facial expression yeah. that he's wearing the whole movie. Yep, the entire movie, he does not change facial expression. He's in. He's in maybe. His biggest scene, scenes arguably, are at the very end. That's the only time when like somebody's really speaking to him for some certain extended period of time. Yeah, it's when when Caviezel's speaking to him. Well, that and when um the dude that was in the first Matrix movie gets shot, and he's like, "Where's Fife? Where's Fife? Is Fife here?" And And then then he appears, and then he boom, he's just there. Yeah, and he and then except for. The guy is talking to him, and Brody, like, despite it all, doesn't say anything. And, like, when I was watching this movie, I was trying to rack my brain and remember, like, oh, does he say anything yeah. in this movie? And I almost feel like it was just to spite us, almost, that he, like, because it seems like every time he was on the, on the screen, I was, like, leaning forward with anticipation, mm-hmm. like, oh, what's he going to say? Like, I, I can't wait to be able to write something down for, like, our Brody quote of the week. Yeah. And it's, like, on the tip of his tongue every time, every time. And then we cut away, and yeah. he doesn't say anything. Yeah. He, he, I mean, 
he's in it so little that it's hard to kind of imagine what his character arc would have been. Exactly. And his and he always looks the same. As Spencer said, he always looks doe-eyed. He looks like he's a deer caught in headlights. Like he's that, you know, like young guy who's who's in war who just like can't handle it. At the very end when he him and Kavizel and that third guy like go to scout out where the Japanese soldiers are and Kavizel and um, Brody address each other. That's the time that that's you can see like both of those characters could have been heading to that point. Like right. that was their end point. But you, you know, the Kavizel, you've watched him the entire movie. You understand what got him to that point with Brody. It's just like, Oh, he just could, that he could have been literally anybody else, any other character being sent on that little mission and then run back and tell everybody, Hey, everybody watch out. Yeah. They're like sort of begging the question, right? Like what, what came before it in order to make it, make it that Brody was the one that went. But they don't even. It, but right. But it, it it sort of begs that question. But at the end of the day, that question doesn't even matter. Like I don't. I, don't, I wasn't even. I I'm only asking that question now. I wasn't asking it while watching the movie. Yeah. Like it, the reason the reason he was sent was because him and the guy who got shot were both like the two meek people, and that idiot, the new yeah. commander, was like, "Oh, let's send these two people." And they're both like, "What? I got my best men on it." Right. right? Yeah. And Kavisa's like, "All right, I'll go too." Like you know, so I know what I'm doing. Die, yeah. Right. Well, I mean, give a little backstory of Brody's role in this movie and his what he expected. Oh, you mean like during production? Yeah, yeah. I think Greg, Greg, you know. Yeah, I, I know. I know a bit. Um, so Brody, I'm looking up some some specifics, but Brody was expected both himself and pretty much the press surrounding this movie because uh, this was the first movie Terrence Malick had done in about 20 years. Yeah, since after Kingdom of Heaven, Days of Heaven, Days of Heaven, I think. Um, Days of Heaven, right? Yeah, yeah. And so this movie had a lot of uh, a lot of buzz about it. Terrence Malick, even in the only two movies he'd done before this, were he was critically acclaimed. He was an interesting American auteur director. Um, and Brody was the person that was touted as being like the main character in this movie. And he was interviewed in in a, a few big media publications about you know his experience on it. He, they were him and pretty much all the actors were on location where did we say well it was in you said australia. in solomon islands australia well, northern australia yeah. for a bit and for about three months yeah. for about three months of shooting and it's tough I and mean, you can tell it's tough conditions and they're walking through mud there's a lot of mosquitoes and stuff out there <laughs> and he did that for you know for this this is this is what this is the role he got well from what i so i was reading a little bit before we started recording and from what I understand as well is that like the original screenplay, his character was like the meatiest character. It had mm -hmm. the most as far as, you know, dialogue or character development or whatever. At least that's how it was maybe initially conceived. But it did sound like the production of this movie was fraught with uh I don't know, turmoil, I suppose. Like mm -hmm. it sounded like Malik had a falling out with some of the producers on the movie and he was like well if you guys are coming to the oscars then i'm not going to the oscars and all this sort of stuff and so there were i think that there was a lot of like behind the scenes problems with this and so uh, i don't know if malik cut brody out like by necessity maybe like his his scenes just didn't translate as well well it wasn't just brody that was cut out it was I'm just off the top of my head. I'm yeah. remembering it was Bill Pullman. Mm -hmm. It was Mickey Rourke. Yeah, there was Vigo Mortensen, else. and Clooney was yeah. like also top build, and he had this just one 
scene at the very end of yeah. the movie with like three minutes left. Yeah. In the so movie. I mean, I doubt either. I don't. I don't know how much of his stuff would have been cut out because it would have been at the end anyway. Maybe there was just more story to be told that was cut out. I just don't know. You know why really was Clooney top build? He was just got this one scene. Martin Sheen and Billy Bob Thornton were also involved. Well, in I read it. that oh, Billy Bob yeah. Thornton recorded nar- like voiceover for the whole movie. Oh, really? And he didn't use any of it. I mean, and you can see that, and this is Terrence Malick's kind of mo, but he records a shit ton of footage, mm-hmm. and then pretty much the movie's made in post, and it's made in the editing room. Um, and it's here, an editor named Billy Weber. Um, it says here was came on board and spent 13 months of post-production in the last four months mixing the film. So you, they had to get rid of some things, obviously, to cut it down to a three-hour movie. Wasn't the original cut like five hours long? Oh, I, probably. We have yeah. a Criterion Collection. We probably have it. <laughs> um, but the, big, the biggest issue surrounding it, as far as Brody is concerned, is that he attended a screening in 98 when the movie came out, and nobody had told him. Right. So he, he attended the screening with his parents, I believe, and was so excited. He was all hyped up and just wasn't. It had maybe two lines and maybe five minutes of screen time. Did he even have two lines? I don't think so. I, I think remember what Wikipedia a... says. He does. He does. He has because he has the voiceover. I remember the voiceover, but that's and then he it. has the line at the very end when they're like, Fife, what, like, what happened? I thought he didn't say anything. Oh, I thought he said like they're coming. Or, oh, maybe. Yeah, I think he said they're coming, but then he ignored the next question. Oh, that see, I must have. It was like spacing. every scene where they were talking to him, and he should have said something. Yeah, he that's didn't. what I'm saying. It made, like it, it made was me bizarre. so anxious. Yeah. Like I would like, say something, Brody. Was, I mean, frankly, it was just weird. Like even if we weren't doing this Brody podcast, and I was just watching this movie, I I would have noticed. Like what? Why isn't this character saying anything? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm. I'm just gonna. I mean, this is this isn't the Brody quote of the week. I'm just gonna read this because while I'm looking at it, it's relevant. So in in 2001, so this is three years after the Red Line came out. Yep. It was yep. 98. Um, he was still upset about it, and there was a quote from him when he spoke with uh, the London newspaper, The Independent. And Brody said, "I was so focused and professional. I gave everything to it, and then to not receive anything in terms of witnessing my own work, it was extremely unpleasant because I'd already begun the press for a film that I wasn't really in." Terry obviously changed the entire concept of the film. I had never experienced anything like that. You know the expression, don't believe the hype? Well, you shouldn't. You know, I, mean, I, I kind of see it. Like, it, it didn't... I mean, he changed the direction of the film in post, according to this quote. Mm-hmm. And you, you can kind of see it. It kind of was a little aimless. I feel like mm-hmm. that's just a Malik, Malik thing, though, isn't it? Like... Yes, the que- the question that but I think true, is that though. now it's a Malik. Th- I wonder. I wonder at the time. Yeah, I, like, he'd only released two movies, and I haven't seen either of them to be honest. I saw Days of Heaven. I didn't see, and I've heard that that's a little listless. Um, yeah, I mean, I saw it maybe like three years ago. So yeah, I mean, it, it, whether he changed the direction of the film or not, what it really comes down to, at least as far as Brody is concerned, and that is the point of this podcast, and. It's that he, he he wasn't told. He was like he was completely disrespected, and he went around because he was told to to go on this press tour, and he's like, "Well, why did you make me do this if I'm not in? Like, this is embarrassing for me." I I agree. I understand and agree that like the the salt the salt levels that Brody um sort of exhibited in that quote are. Heart, heart heartbreaking. Or well, heart? it's it's valid. Heart clotting. Yeah. Cl- 
yes. for him to be yeah right it's a sodium levels are very high but it's <laughs> it's valid but at the same time i also don't think it's fair for him to say like don't believe the hype of the movie and i know that that from me com- coming from me is extremely oh. biased but the movie itself is good no it's i don't extremely good regardless of whether or not brody is in it yes I and, don't think that, that that wasn't my impression of what Brody was saying. Oh, yeah, I think he, he was saying for himself. Like that that uh, was that was my is that like he got so excited and so worked up over it because it was his big I break. I get it. Okay. I yes. thought I thought he was telling people like you see this movie sounds really hyped up but I'm not in it so No. And this, no this uh, yeah, is, I don't think that's what okay. he was saying. I I must have misheard right. you. And this is 3 years later. Right. So right. so it's yeah. he's, so not, he's, not, he's, he's not talking <laughs> right. He's not talking about like don't see the movie anymore. It's, yeah, it we're could out of the be. promotional window. Yeah, of right. it, he was all hyped up. He believed the hype. Yeah. And he was utterly disappointed. He's, I like completely misinterpreted yeah. what <laughs> what you were saying. Well, I I think this this segues right into um his overall growth. I know we're kind of jumping all over the place with with our beats today. I think it makes sense within the context of this movie though, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so his overall growth. He's he's just coming from uh, the Undertaker's wedding, which is a Jesus. goof of a movie. It was a it was a goof and a gaff. Yeah, exactly. And he's you know he's cast in Terrence Malick's first movie in twenty years as what he thinks is the lead role. Yeah, you know that I was reading again is that allegedly Bruce Willis offered to f- pay for some of the casting people to go to the set. So that he could have a couple lines in the movie. He tried to buy his way onto the movie. This is like post Pulp wow. Fiction Bruce Willis, probably at the height of his, uh, I don't know, box office draw, I mm-hmm. would say, as an actor. And, and Adrian, <laughs> yeah, Adrian shit. just jumps him. This is Die Hard, right? Yeah, shit, yeah. man. It, like, Die Hard's that's, the late 90s? That's top. I mean, I don't know if it's true. That story could be apocryphal. I don't know. But still, like, you have to give it to Brody, even though he didn't really make it past the cutting room floor like you got to give it to him at least on the on the front of it like yeah. fuck yeah brody you got that yeah. snag the lead role the the yeah but at the end of the day he didn't get anything out of it well he, he got to work with terrence malick at a bunch of scenes work, with sean penn yeah, yeah he got to work with a lot of other really talented and famous actors which is definitely great experience he and also was filming on location in the Solomon Islands and in Australia, which you know, that's not just filming on a soundstage in in New Jersey. <laughs> in New Jersey, yeah. right? I Although mean, it could be, we we're still a little yeah. not convinced that this movie wasn't shot uh, in Newark. <laughs> right, so. right, true. <laughs> Newark could all, be, could all be green screen. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, but yes, I agree. I mean, he definitely got a lot of good things out of it, However, and I think and you could also make the argument that like he did all of these interviews with big film publications. So he made contacts and his PR people made contacts with these people, but, but it, that's embarrassing. Yes. Like it's, Uh, it's out of, it's, it was out of his control Mm -hmm. and, but it's, it's embarrassing. I mean, the thing is to me anyway, is that it shouldn't, it shouldn't be embarrassing, but it is like you, cause you know, like you can't, like you said, it's out of his control. Like you shouldn't, at least my personal philosophy is like you know things happen and if you can't control it like what what's the point of feeling like bad or embarrassed about it and like it's not his fault that you know malik just decided like fuck it we're going with something a little bit like deliberate and meditative and we're gonna just cut out a bunch of characters and that's like you can't 
you can't right. fault Malik for that, but you also can't fault Brody either. But the thing is, is that like you have to blame Malik and the producers for not right. communicating yes. with him. And and I I think that yes, that that's that's my overall point. I think that I don't think this movie was a step down as far as Adrian's overall growth. I guess that both his expectations, um, and what my expectations would have been if I were him, is that. This would have been sky high growth. Like right. this, 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 he was primed in this movie to be the big movie star. This is the yeah. This was it. Yeah. Um, and that was taken away from him. Yes. Yes. So it's it's a small step up. It's it is growth, but it's not the growth that he expected, and that should have been. Well, I think this was like Greg was saying. Like this is the one that he expected to be. Like this is like the stratospheric jump that he makes like he's gonna bust bust through the ceiling this is his pianist (laughs) right yeah exactly but now maybe this is sort of like the launch pad that you know we're setting the stage for Mm -hmm. the 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 growth the the exponential growth as opposed to this being the one so maybe it's just delaying the inevitable as opposed to you know this was the jacket instigating it yeah (laughs) the jacket yeah uh well so let's let's just kind of you know hit some of our other beats right now uh we you know we expressed our opinions on the movie already we don't we don't need to continue going along that path um how does it really impact the movie yeah you know not really doesn't at all it doesn't impact it could have been anybody yep really uh his line of the week i got one i may may have the only one (laughs) (laughs) in the voiceover yeah he he says you see many dead people yeah and then immediately, like, cause it's it's almost out of character for the for the voiceovers as well, is because for the most part they're pretty long, and like drawn out. Yeah, and his was a and and his normally was a and, and normally it's re- it was longer than that. No, that was it. Then somebody answered. Somebody and normally, else talked. Yeah. Oh, so normally the dead dog part to someone else. Yeah. Normally oh. it's normally Terrence Malick movies have rhetorical questions and they're philosophical. This was a direct question to somebody else who then says. I don't forget what they say, but they say something, something about, about be, seeing yeah. dead people. They and, compare it to dead dogs. And Brody is on screen while the voiceover part is taking place, but his mouth doesn't move, which is mm-hmm. also very weird because we, I mean, it maybe is weirder for us who have seen so many of these Brody movies where like we can immediately boom, like that's Brody. Yeah. We all were like, there he is. Like we can hear him. He's finally speaking. And then you see him on screen, his mouth isn't moving, and then it cuts, and someone else answers the voiceover, which is, like, completely out of character for the other ones. I'm not thinking, you know, the way that Brody delivered that, you see many dead people line. Maybe he should have replaced Bruce Willis in Sixth Sense. Whoa. Crazy. That didn't make any sense, (laughs) but... Dude, I I would watch that movie. Adrian Brody in the Sixth Sense. Yeah. Well, I mean, we get we, to see him in an M Night Shyamalan movie eventually. Woo! The, the Village. Village. Never yes. seen it. Excited. excited. Oh, the Village. So oh, it's a great one. Yeah. Uh, I think we can skip our definitive list. Well, this week because this one, I, it, this isn't. It's tough. Where this one would even go? It's sort of like Natural Born Killers almost. Like I mean, it's no, because Natural Born Killers we put at the bottom all the time. It's it's almost like uh, New York Stories. Right. 
I mean, he's in it more than. Yeah, I mean, but it, like, it was a fine facial expression he had for the entire time. <laughs> <laughs> it was very consistent. Yeah, he was. He had like, I will give him the dedication for that. that yeah, was... but like, I also don't really want to put this movie on the list. It kind of. What has to? I, it's in the middle somewhere. It's not in my top three. It's not in my bottom three. It's probably in my bottom three. I mean, I don't know. I mean, as far as Brody performances go, it has yeah. to be in the bottom three, which pains yeah. me to say. No, but we have Natural Born Killers, New York Stories, and this one. What, 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 what else was what he in less? Said the third I mean, one. Yeah, what else was he in less? I don't know. You throw Angels in the Outfield in there sometimes. Yeah, you oh, yeah. In the no, <laughs> he was worse than Angels in the Outfield. Wow. I, I okay. don't know. Let's move okay. on. Uh, fa- <laughs> favorite scene, I you know, it's going to – this movie doesn't have any <laughs> – I, I, I like scene. that one scene where he made that face. Oh yeah, that's that's you a know? sweet scene. <laughs> I guess I'll say that I'll just say the scene when he's uh when he's in bed and he's like his oh. eyes are super wide open. You know that. <laughs> and he's making and, that face. And he's, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it, that's right after he you see him for the first time with Sean Penn. It's yeah. when I, you know they're they're in kind of the sleeping area and a couple people are scared and he's one of them. They're about to be summoned to battle. Right. Basically. Yes. Uh, Greg, you want to go into your quote? Yeah. Okay. So we we were looking through um this Criterion Blu-ray, which is gorgeous. I was very happy with it. Um, and uh, there's one that's specifically about acting, um, and talks with the actors about their experience working on this movie, working with Malik. And I did not expect Brody to be featured in it, uh, and he's not because no. Sean Penn's in it, uh, Elias Codius, uh, Caviezel, that guy that Dash. his name yeah Dolph Lundgren. Yeah. <laughs> um, so we found a scene where that guy Dash like Lundgren, Hulk yeah, or something. Dash Lundgren, um, Dash Hulk. Who, who's the? He's the character who has you know sort of red hair and a really thick neck. Yeah, he's he's featured he's, heavily. In, he's the guy yeah. that kind of goes a little nuts. Like he gets a little freaked early. A little shell yeah. shot, and then he kind of yeah. gets a little better. Yeah, but he's always making that like the mouth breathing <laughs> face. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> um, but he has a story about his favorite time working on this movie which involves a one and only broadmaster flex one of the best times i had in guadalcanal was adrian brody and i found um they were doing a battle of the bands and it was like reggae bands or whatever in the solomon islands and adrian brody and i went and he had his little he makes hip-hop beats and i make hip-hop beats so he had his little beat making machine and we entered battle of the bands and performed in front of like a thousand melanesians in the middle of guadalcanal randomly hip-hop it was amazing now a couple things (laughs) with this i i love how birdie found another white guy on kindred spirits yeah named Dolph lundgren who who loves to make hip-hop beats the other thing they're in the solomon islands which which were southeast asia yeah it, like right above Australia. Right, yeah, between Southeast Asia Japan, and Australia. Something. And <laughs> Brody brings his beat-making equipment yeah. <laughs> across the other side of the world. And just so he can do beats, I guess, when he's just chilling on the side, when he's not acting. Um, he finds this guy, like Spencer said, Kindred Spirit. And they go and perform in front of thousands of people at a battle of the band. How did they find this? How did they get involved with it? The other part I love is that Dolph Lundgren... When he's like, he's like, Adrian makes hip hop beats. I make hip hop beats. We go and perform all this little battle of bands, and then he just goes hip hop, <laughs> just <was> randomly, <laughs> hip hop. Like, like we didn't hip-hop. understand when he said we both make hip hop beats. 
you had to clarify Hip-hop. a little bit yeah. just what exactly they were doing the question that i have the, the questions that i have from this are do you think that video of this exists Ooh. somewhere like do you think there's there's <laughs> a clip on fucking live leak or something from 1998 adrian brody <laughs> dolph lundgren mixing hip-hop beats in front of 1,000, what did he call them, Melanesian people? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes, and I'll tell you why. It's on Terrence Malick's cutting room floor. Uh, <laughs> Brody was, was part of the movie. Brody, yeah. was cut out, Brody was cut out of that as well. Oh, that was man. that was the transition from Thin Red Line to that Song to Song South by Southwest movie. <laughs> Rooney Mara was also there. Oh, what, eight-year-old Rooney Mara? Yeah. yeah. That's how. That's what inspired her to play at South by. Oh, I got it. Was seeing Adrian and Dolph Lundgren Dolph perform Lundgren. hip-hop. <laughs> On just, stage. just to clarify, it's his, not his, Dolph Lundgren. His name's Dash Mahawk. 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 It's, it's, it sounds like Dolph Lundgren. Yes, me. it does. That's what I said. But you know, yeah. we gotta we gotta show him a little bit of respect by mispronouncing his last name. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I beg to differ. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Go ahead. Uh, okay. I think we can start wrapping things up. It's been a dude. Hip hop. Hell, <laughs> hell of an episode. Sustenance, brother. So, <laughs> so next week we. Uh, Hopefully, have the film Restaurant. <laughs> Sorry. Oh, man. Spencer's dying. Excuse me. I just inhaled like a fly, I think. Um, <laughs> it's that Queen's Air. <laughs> that sweet, sweet, sweet Queen's Air. Uh, Restaurant 1998. Uh, so, it's directed by Eric Bross, who, let me just double check, pretty sure directed 10 Benny. He did. Okay. He did. And and the writer of this yeah, wrote right, 10 Benny. Uh, Tom Cudworth. The director writer team. I also think we need need to make a slight note. Oh yeah, um, <laughs> we forgot to do this at the very top of the hour, uh, but we are not going to be releasing two episodes this week. No, um, because apparently the movie Restaurant does not exist online anywhere in any shape or form, or at um, your local library, or at the or local, at library. local library. Oh, we but ex- they have clippings of the movie oh. at our local library, just in case you were wondering. On maybe microfiche. Uh, well, I mean, we can maybe go into the microfiche vaults eventually, but just to... That's my hip-hop name, by the way, microfiche, microfiche. vault. <laughs> Dude, I would listen to that album. Hip-hop. Yeah. Hip-hop. Library Basement. That's the <laughs> first volume. Yeah. Uh, so this movie also has Simon Baker, Lauren Hill. Oh, wait, wait. Sorry to touch on that. So we will be releasing two <laughs> oh, yeah, right. episodes at some point in the future. We'll, we'll Beyonce drop yeah. that. Also, apparently, I'm just going to throw this out there because I thought it was cool. Kendrick dropped that album Friday, yesterday. What was it called? Damn. Damn. People are theorizing that he might drop the episode. He might drop a new album on Sunday. Why? Good Friday, Sunday. He's resurrected Jesus. Oh, shit. So Dude, maybe we'll do it, that. What if it has a what if it has a <laughs> has a beat by Adrian Brody and Dolph Lundgren? Oh Lundgren's my god! Don't even uh, don't even from start the with vault, me. the microfiche vault. Okay, go ahead, Goldberg. You, uh, uh, I won't I cut you off. Know anyway. what I was. All right. Anyway, we're getting this DVD to us on Amazon. It'll come eventually. We'll watch it. It'll be great. Actually, I am looking forward to this movie. It's supposed to be very good. It is a romantic comedy. You know how much we all love our rom coms. Mm-hmm. And he was also he was nominated for an Indie Spirit Award. Yes, he was. Best Small Actor. He's a lead in this movie, so mm-hmm. I'm very excited. Also, it takes place in Hoboken. Right. Fun fact. I hate New Hoboken. <laughs> Dirty Jersey. Well, we'll be back to our regularly scheduled programming. Yeah. Starting now. Right. Next week. <laughs> and every Hopefully. Wednesday going forward. Thanks again for listening, and go watch Thin Red Line. You know, I was dissing it before, but I do like it. It is a very good movie. Yes.
just not my favorite. Au revoir.